0: All right, so moving on. Today, we have a special happening that we like to do once a month, and that is Soup Sunday. So, yes. So if you have uh, participated in that before, it's a very fun time to have a little bit of a sampling of different types of soup, to gather and have some fellowship time with people afterwards, especially on a nice cold day like today, right? Yeah. So, so please join us for that. If you are new and you'd like to check it out, it's a fun time to sample something. You never know what you're gonna get, but it's always good, right? always good okay so that is happening now coming up this coming weekend is the student ministries overnighter so middle schoolers and high schoolers I think some of them are here in this room perhaps they are having an overnighter event at different homes so that is very exciting if parents if you have not signed them up today is the last day to sign them up so don't miss out on that and uh, If any of you middle schoolers or high schoolers are here and your parents haven't signed you up, bug them. And for the rest of us, let's pray for them to have a great time and pray for the the families that are hosting them, right? It'll be great. It'll be great. Um, Also, something that we're bringing back, I don't know if many of you may remember a couple of years ago, we had a Sponsor a Student program that we really kicked off uh, during the pandemic time when students were doing a lot of the distance learning and were kind of shut in their homes and they didn't have connection with each other or with us even as we weren't gathering in person. And this was really a program that was born out of that to help uh, uh, those of us adults in here to sponsor a kid, sponsor a student, and it was all about writing them encouraging notes, uh, sending them little prepackaged kind of gifts and stickers and things like that that was age appropriate for them. It was really just about pouring into their lives in a way where they really needed it. And you can see a picture of my kids up there. They really loved it. They benefited from it hugely, not just because of the candy. <laughs> Like they really, like they felt connected with the, with the grownups who were like uh, sending the messages and doing things for them. So we are bringing that back now after the, the Lent and the spring break time here. So we're getting prepared for that. So please sign up for that. Please sponsor a student. This is a wonderful time for you to pour into the lives of other students. Even if you have kids of your own, just know that they'll be poured into too. So there will be signups outside here so sign up to sponsor a student. Parents, don't forget to sign your child up to be registered for that so that they can be receiving these benefits too. It's a huge blessing. And if you're thinking like, well, maybe I will, but I don't know because there's probably a lot of people that are gonna do it, just do it anyway. Because the worst case scenario is gonna be that we have too many adults for our kids, but guess what? That just means even more adults blessing on them, okay? So just do it. You will be blessed for it. I trust, trust me on that one. Okay, uh, also, another thing happening is small groups. So we met for the first time Wednesday last week here for our Lent season small groups. It was a great time. We had a great turnout. So (laughs) thank you for the endorsement back there. It is a wonderful time. If you have not signed up, there is still time to join. There's only gonna be four more weeks. So take advantage of it now. Come, it's on Wednesdays from 6.30 to 8. Especially if you've got kids that are doing the youth group at the time, it's a great time because it's right at the same time. So come up for that. Uh, Let's see, Coffee in the Courtyard is coming up this next Saturday here. And for those of you that have come, you know, it's a great time. For those of you who have no idea what it is, it's a wonderful opportunity to come, have a coffee here in the courtyard, like it says, a little treat, and just kind of mingle with our pantry guests. That's what it's right before our distribution on Saturday. It's a beautiful time to just be here, connect. It's a wonderful time for them to feel welcomed on, you know, onto our campus without it just being like, okay, you're here to receive food, bless you. But it's also time for them to receive our connection and our communi- our communion here as well. So please come for that. Uh, let's see. Think I'm about good. All right. So <clears throat> last thing I will say is uh, for giving so i just want to say a thank you to all of you who give so generously to our community here we we wouldn't be able to do all the ministries together that we do without support from this church body so please continue to give there's so many ways to do that and if those of you are familiar with it you'll know the easy ways to do it so thank you so much for that support and i'd like to do a brief prayer here before we welcome melody up thank you lord for this morning Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you just for the blessings that you've given to us, Lord. I ask that you please bless Melody now, bless the words that she is about to speak. And these are the words you've chosen for her, Lord. And may they have the impact that you desire for your church body to hear. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all that you've given to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Good job. Oh, there's my, my clock top
1: tell him to make sure my Crock-Pots are plugged in over there with the soups. (laughs) I hope they're plugged in, because if not, that's not going to be good. Were they on high or were they on low? High? Okay, they're going to be hot. Okay. So one time there was a soup Sunday here, and um, we didn't plug it in. Like, it was cold when it got here, but luckily at that moment we had... um, I had it in the Instapot where you can push the sauté button and it heats it up really hot, really fast. So that was our saving grace, but uh, I'm like traumatized since that day. Like, please make sure it's like So anyway, thank you. Good job. Uh, all right. So welcome today. My name is Melody. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're just joining us today, uh, one thing that Chris did not mention, but that's okay. We'll let it slide is if you are um, just wanting to connect with us in any way, there's a card in front of you. There should be a pen. Connect, write your name, write your email, write your phone number, any way we can connect with you. And we would love to do that. Uh, Any prayer that you have, we will do that. So you know, I know, but if you're visiting us today, you don't know. So I want to tell you that. So, all right. Do you know what is going to be celebrated tomorrow and Tuesday. Anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? Women's Let's. Women's Month, yes, but specifically tomorrow and the next day is Purim. It is a Jewish holiday, yes. And before I tell you specifically more about this holiday, I want to tell you that you know, as Grant and I planned out this series and we planned out like who would speak when and what stories we would go into, this story, we're going to look at the story of Esther today, this was actually not for several Sundays from now, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, scheduled for this day and as you know, as we just prayed, Grant had to leave very suddenly and we rearranged some things but, you know, um, we, we didn't know that Purim was we didn't look at a calendar. We didn't look at a calendar and say, oh, this would fit here. Let's do... We didn't know that. We didn't know that. And so, um, you know, he got the call from Scotland and we were like, bye, go, see you later. And I want you to take special note that even in the hard and even in the hurry and even in hard things and sad things and challenging things, I believe that God has his that God has his hand in the details, and that God has his hand on Grant and his family and us, and here today, Grant, Grant, God has his hand in everything, and when I realized that Purim was tomorrow and the next day, it it gave me a little shiver of, wow, I I didn't realize that, so... Uh, If you're here today in this chair today, if you're here because you always come, if you're here because you were invited and you didn't know how to say no, if you're here because your brunch plans were canceled, I don't know, whatever reason you are here today, I want to tell you that we are all here in the same time, in the same space, here today, and God has his hand on that. So will you say amen to that with me? Amen. Amen. So. Uh, let's get back to Purim. So, Purim is a Jewish holiday and has many traditions and rituals. And <clears throat> they, do, uh, they do a lot to do with, it has a lot to do with food. And I'm going to show you a couple things. I can't say this word, but I can, I can put the cookie on there. Ha, hamashtin. Is Marissa in the room? She knows exactly how to say this word. She's like, oh, Hamashtin. Or, yeah, I don't know. Hamo what? Hamintashin. Yes? Say it again. Hamantaschen. Okay. So it is a delicious pastry, sometimes filled with cream cheese and um, fruit preserves, sometimes just the preserves. So I want to tell you that, you know, because I had all this time on my hands, I was going to make some of this for you today. In fact, I attempted to make this for you today. (laughs) But I'm going to show you a picture of what actually came out. good? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you feel that way because I brought it anyway. And (laughs) and you'll just don't even tell me. Just say happy Purim as you eat it, okay? So um, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of anyone seen that show on Netflix called Nailed It? Okay, so that is what I felt like. I was like, nailed it. No, no, I didn't. All right. So another special cookie they eat is something called mun cookies, and mung cookies are made out of uh, poppy seed, and they're like a thin little wafer. I could probably eat ten of these in one sitting, and um, they say that they love especially drinking it with tea. Um, so this food that they make is not only food that you know is traditional to enjoy during the holiday, but they share it. They share. Here's, your, here's some mung cookies for you. Oh, I'll take your mung cookies for me. So it's an exchange of family and friends, and everyone is involved in this. Um, they give also to the poor. Uh, they take little packages of food to the poor. They donate to specific charities during this time. But the most important thing the Jewish community does during this time is they have a special reading uh, throughout uh, multiple times, throughout the couple of days that they celebrate it. And this is uh, the reading that they do is they read the book of Esther from front to back. And Esther is where we find ourselves today. So. The fact that I tell you Purim is today, tomorrow, and the next day, again, not a coincidence, and we'll get to more of that in a second. So what exactly are they celebrating? A a book of the Bible? Well, yes, and we'll see why here. And maybe you know the story of Esther and you're familiar with it. Maybe you don't. And the little blurb in the sermon in the worship guide today says, well, you know, we hear Esther and we're like, yeah, yeah. you know, we think we know the story and, and I'm going to give you cliff notes today. I'm going I'm to speed right in the story. And yes, it has a Bible verse that we are very familiar with. Can you say it with me? Perhaps this is the moment. What does it say? Perhaps you are made for such a time as this. And this verse has been used in many sermons for many different illustrations for many different times. But that's not what we're going to focus on today. That's not what we're going to focus on. Today, we're going to ask, where is God in this story? Where is God in this story? And obviously, this story ends with a celebration. So let's take a look. We'll start at the end. See what we did there? Spoiler alert. Yeah? That's where you guys should be going. Oh, I see. Come on. Oh, okay. All right. That was all right. All right, so let's read about it. I'm going to begin in Esther chapter 9. This is the end of the story. Mordecai recorded, all, recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy... And their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So that's what they do, yes? So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hammedatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews had done what? Had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. And he cast the poor, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Ouch! Therefore, these days were called Purim from the word poor. Because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. So not just some of them, all of them. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So now we understand a little bit more Of what this celebration is about yes yes so this passage is very specific to what where and why they're celebrating they're celebrating this victory over the genocide of their nation so how did they get this victory and this is where Esther does come in with the famous Bible verse and this is Mordecai who is talking to her for if you remain silent at this time Relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So this is where we see the Hobby Lobby signs, right? This is where what we see... When we go to a store, when we go to um, even Hallmark, really, you know, sweatshirts that said for maybe you've been created for such a time as this, hats, jewelry, sweatshirts, whatever it is, this is Esther's big moment. This is why this Bible verse is so popular. Um, So uh, here's where she pleaded with her husband to stop the genocide because she was, in fact, Jewish herself that um, uh, she had kept hidden. And I'm going to read another portion where she, where she is pleading. She's talking to the king here. If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. Grant me my life. This is my petition and stare, spare my people. This is my request. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it is right to do so, and if he is pleased with me, Let an order be written, ruling the dispatches of Haman, son of Hamathadah the Agagite, who devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see the disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? So again, this celebration, these traditions, these rituals, they all stem from this event. An excellent reason to celebrate, Yes. And from a basic standpoint, that might be what most of us get from this story and what most of us might remember when we think about this story. Another fact that you may or may not know about this story is that the book of Esther in particular is a book that God's name is not mentioned anywhere in the book. It's not mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther. No one says, no one says this or that about God. It's not there. But I've heard this saying, tell me if you've heard it too, that God's fingerprints were everywhere on this story. Have you heard it? Yeah, some of us. So, yeah, for sure I can see I can see what happened, but if we're going to say that God's fingerprints are everywhere, I want to know a little bit of what that means. I need more information than just a blanket statement like that. And, um, you know, it's a pretty specific statement. Like, God's fingerprints, God's hands are all over this story. What does that mean? I don't know if you've asked someone, sometimes you've sat across a person and it's like pulling teeth trying to get information. Like when I ask my kids, how was your day? Good. Okay. A little more information. What what was good about it? Lunch was good. It was fun. Okay, a little bit of more information, right? What was fun? What was your, what'd you eat? Come on, I need more information. So let's look at the information together today and let's go back to how this all got started. The beginning of Esther starts with another celebration. It was more like a party. And King Xerxes is having a major party. In verse uh, 4, chapter 1, it says, For a full 180 days, so six months-ish, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and splendor and glory of his majesty. So for six months, King Xerxes had the royals and the nobles and everyone, all the higher-ups there for six months just partying away, drinking, feasting, all the things. And then he had another seven-day celebration where he invited everyone, like from the least to the greatest, he invited everyone. And it says in verse 10, on the seventh day when King Xerxes was high in spirits from wine, what does that mean? He was super drunk, okay? He was super drunk. He ordered his wife, Queen Vashti, to come and display her beauty among all the guests. And so, some of you may know that, you know, there's different, uh, how do you say, uh, different uh, theories on this, that he ordered her to come and display her beauty while only wearing her crown, like just her crown, okay? So that's one theory, that she was to display all her beauty, And uh, the queen queen refuses, and the king banishes her from his kingdom. And again, quick cliff notes here, no mention of God. At this point, Esther is nowhere around. And we end up in chapter 2. And it says in verse 2, Later, when King Xerxes' fury has subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Now, the funny thing about this first word, later, is that sometimes I wish we had clear, like, time-lapse explanations in the Bible, you know? So this word, later, actually means four years later, four years between chapter one and chapter two. So does anyone watch Spongebob in here? So can you say it with me? Four years later. Did I say it okay? Say it okay? Okay four years later. Is the guy French in SpongeBob? Is he French? Uh, Yeah. Brian says, yeah, definitely French. (laughs) All right. So four years later, um, four years later, the king is reflecting on his banished wife. And why is he reflecting on it? Well, also in that time span of later, the king had gone off to war. He had tried to conquer Greece during this time and he failed. He failed, so he comes home super sad and is super lonely because his beautiful queen is gone, because he did that. And he is sitting there and is thinking about Vashti and the fact that he was, she was his wife and she was there and she brought him comfort and whatever. So he's pretty sad about banishing her. So what happens? In chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Then the king's personal attendants proposed... Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. In verse 4, then let the young young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. That's easy, right? Uh, This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it, okay? So a team of people go out to 127 provinces, and provinces are kind of like states. So uh, 100 province, 120 provinces of Persia, and here is where Esther enters the story. Well, not just Esther, about 400 other women also enter the story. And that is a whole lot of ladies right there. Yeah? Have you ever been in a room with 400 ladies? No? And not only 400 ladies in the room, they were basically 400 ladies who were taken from their home with the possible promise of becoming queen and they were on lockdown for about 12 months where they received beauty treatments and did different things in order to be ready to spend one night, one night each with the king and whoever pleased the king would become his wife. So I I don't know that I've ever been in um, a room with four, probably, but I can't remember when. Maybe when I went to the Jonas Brothers concert, and there was 400-plus women there. A lot of moms my age with a lot of their daughters. Um, And I've never been in a beauty pageant either, but the closest thing I have come to this was when I applied to an open call to be a flight attendant for United Airlines. And I've shared this story here, and I'll share it again today that about 200 ladies show up, young women, older women, all women, and some guys too. So I got in my best interview clothes and I went down to LAX and we started the interview process at about 9 a.m. and it ended around 2 a.m. that morning. And it was round after round of questions and scenarios and, and background checks and have you ever committed a crime and you know, all this stuff. And so there was cut after cut after cut. And um, unless you were there with a friend, and even still, you were out to be one of the girls that they chose at the end of the night. And so I remember hearing conversations happening around me and, you know, oh, I hear in the first year, they don't don't let you fly at all. You're just on call the whole time, so you can't really go anywhere. You can't really make plans. And, well, that's not true. Uh, well, I have a friend in the industry, and she says they, they place you in the furthest state they can away from your home so that you don't get, you don't get flights back home. Because if you didn't know this, flight attendants fly on, on uh, what's it called? It's not on call. Standby, thank you. They fly on standby. They can't ever book a ticket unless they buy a ticket like the general public. Um, Oh, I hear in the first year flight attendants get the routes over really bad turbulent areas so that they can weed out who can handle turbulence and who can't. None of these things were true. None of these things were true. These girls were just being mean. Just being mean. And at the end of the night, there was two of us left standing, yours truly included. And not only that, but we, there was no promise, there was no guarantee of a job after that. After that, you had to go to training for two months, seven days a week, eight hours a day. We got one day off because it was Easter. Because it was Easter. And so you had to go through this training and you could only fail two tests. At the third test you failed, you went home. And so the class I started with had 24 people in it and we graduated with eight. Right, so rest assured, my friends. If you take a flight, your flight attendant is trained. She is checked. She may be mean. <laughs> okay, that's more than likely the case. She might be mean, but she is trained. So, back to the four hundred women. So, can you imagine like the catfights fights? Can you imagine the drama? Can you imagine what they were saying to each other? Right? Like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to think about it. Um, but it says that Esther. She, she gained favor right away with those who were, you know, training all these girls. She gained favor right away. So, <clears throat> um, and, and the other thing about Esther is that she is hiding the fact that she's Jewish. So, even this, even still through this, she is gaining favor. So, the king chooses her and they marry. Now, later on in the story, again, we're blown right through the story. There's a bad guy that enters and his name is Haman. And during these plays that get reenacted since then, every time you name the word Haman, there's big boos and um, there's noisemakers like, "Ah." I think I just, I just realized the origins of the kazoo. (laughs) Does anyone know why I hate kazoos in here? We hate kazoos in here. No kazoos in here. Okay. Christmas, what was it? Christmas Eve, 2021, 2022? I don't remember. Christmas Eve service, 2022, no kazoos. Anyway, so um, there's loud noisemakers that happen, um, and there's boos, and he's a bad guy. There's mean girls, but bad guys are even worse. And uh, he is one of the king's advisors, okay? And so I'm going to ask the girls back there at the drawing table to... I can hear you up here. And they're two of my daughters back there, so I can say that. All right. Um, so, uh, Mordecai, uh, Haman, who is one of the king's advisors, um, he just has a beef with Esther's cousin. And not only that, he, he doesn't, well, he doesn't know he's her cousin, but he wants Mordecai to bow down to him as he passes. He wants Mordecai to bow down. And Mordecai refuses because he says, I don't bow down to anyone but God. Okay. So uh, things, you know, go back and forth with them, and Haman, it gets under his skin so much that he decides he wants to kill off all the Jews. And so this is what he says, verse uh, 8 in chapter 3. Uh, there's a certain people dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of other people. They do not obey the king's laws. It's... Not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So if it pleases the king, this is how I imagine this conversation happening. Let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So Haman was so invested in this that he was willing to put money in the treasury. And I feel like this wasn't super clear, or maybe the king wasn't listening, but he's basically saying, let me just kill off this nation right now. Let me kill off this nation. And, and the king's like, yeah, just do what you got to do. I'm, I'm kind of busy, you know. So the king says, he says, you know, keep the money and do what you will with those people, okay? So we skip to chapter 4 now. When Mordecai learned... Right? Mordecai's the guy he has the big beef with. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes and he put on a sackcloth of ashes and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he only went as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. Well, soon enough, you can imagine this scene loudly and wailing, right, making a a huge scene, In front of the palace, the word gets to Esther, and Esther comes and finds out what the plan is from Mordecai. There's a plan to kill us off. So here is where we started earlier with the end. Esther goes through a series of events. She speaks to the king, his people, and they are saved. So okay, we've reviewed this story now. Right? Maybe we learned a detail or two. Time lapses are not super clear in the Bible. Right? Uh, there's 400 really mean but beautiful girls on lockdown. So God's fingerprints are all over the story. God has his hands all over the story. Again, where exactly? Because I didn't read any of those words that say God had a plan or Mordecai trusted a vision that he had been given or... Right? I have a question for you. Do you have you ever heard this phrase that says hindsight gives you insight? Has anyone heard that? I have a few of those. I have well, I have many of those, but a few of them I'm going to share. Some funny ones, some sad ones, some scary ones. I can tell you that uh, I was I had a major intestinal ulcer. Some of you guys remember I had surgery a few years ago. My original surgery was scheduled for December 8th, 2020. And because of COVID cases being on the rise again around that time, my surgery was canceled because of COVID hospitalizations. And on December 9th, my mom went into liver failure. And on December 20th, the doctor told me to start calling my family. And on December 30th, she died. The entire time we were able to keep my mom home with us and I lifted her, I pulled her, I supported her. I did many, many strenuous things with her. She was not a petite lady and I did many strenuous things. Had I had my surgery on December 8th, I would have not been able to do any of that. I can tell you a story about my on again, off again boyfriend. Not that one. <laughs> I can tell you a story about this other guy, um, and we were we were in love. We were in love, and we were familiar, and we were comfortable, and you know. But we were on, on off again, on off again, and uh, at one point we were off again, and uh, we had mutual friends that were getting married. So he came around looking all dreamy and all ex boyfriendy and all the things, right? So he came, yeah, we know, right? Okay. Um, he came around and he said, come on, Melody, let's just go together to this wedding. You know we're going to end up again together. You know it. And as much as I wanted to, as much as I wanted to have a date for the wedding too, because I ended up going by myself, uh, as much as I wanted to have a date, I said no. I said, no. And do you want to know who I met a week later? Right? You're welcome. So had I said yes to the date, right, I wouldn't have met the most wonderful, ridiculous man right there. I wouldn't have met him. Have a new song. One, do you want to hear my new song? One, several years ago, uh, things were a little different here, and uh, Chris and I sat down with a couple people in leadership here at New Song, and two of those people who uh, were Peter and Linda, who generally sit right here, they're not here today. And Peter was uh, the elder chair at the time, and we shared our hearts with them, and we said, you know what? We just we think we're going to find another church for one reason or another, you know things were just not really happening for us and whatnot. And we said, we we're, think we're, we're going to find somewhere else. And they encouraged us to stay a little longer. Changes were coming, you know, and this is many years ago, okay? Well, everybody, Spongebob, a few years later, Grant was called as lead pastor here. And I think that... Uh, the calling of the Miles-Era family is going to go down in history as one of the greatest things to happen at New Song, would you say? Right? And a little while later, uh, I get the honor, the privilege, and the joy that it is to serve here as one of your pastors. Right? You could have done a standing ovation, but whatever. (laughs) I'm not gonna be sad. (laughs) I'm totally kidding, but I love what I do. I love what I do. I love, you, you know, I love it. And I'm sure some of you guys have a lot of, many of these stories, hindsight gives you insight kind of stories. I know some of them. So this series that we have here is asking the question, Where is God in our stories? And I'm going to tell you, he is everywhere. God is everywhere. God is all over the place. He's all over the story of Esther. Why is Esther an orphan? I don't know. But I do know that she was under the guardianship with the cousin who told her to keep her identity quiet. How did Esther do with 400 other women? I don't know. I probably would have been really spicy in that situation. But, you know, she gained favor with whoever was in charge. Why did Mordecai create such a fuss? They just said they're going to kill all the Jews, and you decide to go to the front gates of the palace. I think that's kind of a dangerous spot for you to be. But he did it, and that got Esther's attention. And because of that, the ball started rolling. There was a queen that was positioned in the right place at the right time, the king that had plots all around him, one which was to even have him killed by two of his guards. He was now informed. God had everything in the right place, moving the right people. God was everywhere. His fingerprints are indeed everywhere. His hand is in everything. Even when his name is not mentioned, even when his presence is not talked about, he is in everything and everywhere. Last week, I you know we went through these books. Well, I don't have mine. A Lent book, I think I maybe left it up there. Well, there's some in the oh, Bill, hold it up. Thank you, thank you, Bill. Uh, last week, we went through these books, and I showed you a few words, and I said, look at these words, guys, confused, uh, frustrated, numb is on there twice, thank you, Wash- Washburn family, yeah. um, depressed, melancholy, weary, broken, but also content, loved, happy. I asked you to pick out a few words that stood out to you, and Why? I wonder if I would have shown this list to Esther. I wonder if I would have shown this list to Mordecai, even Xerxes. I wonder if I would have shown this list to them. What would have been their words? What would have been their words? And I would ask them, like I asked you last week, how do you see God in these words? Do you see God in these words? Do you see God in these words? Do you see God working through those words? And the last question I asked you last week was, do you think God can meet you where you're at with these words? Do you think God could see you through what's going on with these words? And the answer I gave you was, I am 100% sure that yes. Yes, he is. And I'm 100, 1,000% 1, sure that Esther, Mordecai, maybe even Xerxes, would say 1,000% yes. He met us through our words, through what we were going through, through our story. We saw God's fingerprints everywhere. Now, again, remember where I said hindsight gives you insight? The trouble with hindsight is that we don't always have it because we're going through it. We don't have it yet in a lot of things. We don't feel it. We can't hear it. Sometimes the presence of God is not known. The presence of God is not seen. The presence of God is not felt. And we stand there and we say, give me a sign, Lord. Send me something. Comfort me. Show me, Father. But when we hear no changes, see no changes, feel no changes, we despair. We can panic. Yes? And we wonder why we're going through something. We wonder why friends are going through something. We, we don't understand and in many of our situations, this has been going on for more than a few chapters in the Bible, for many of us. And that can lead to frustration. But I will tell you again today, God is there. God is there. And how do I know this? I'm going I'm to read you a few words from a few verses in the first few chapters chapter 1 verse 1 this is what happened during the time of verse 2 at the time verse 18 this very day 19 therefore 22 he sent chapter 2 first verse later when verse 8 when 11 every day 4 in the evening 15 when the turn came 19 when 21 during the time chapter 3 after these events then day after day And I could go through the rest of these chapters and pick out line after line where God is in these ordinary words. None of these words are, and then God said, or here comes the conclusion of this great event through God's. None of those things are ordinary, little, medium, whatever the size, they're ordinary everyday moments. And today, I want to tell you, today, when, day after day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, afternoon, evening, I want to tell you that in these ordinary moments, in these ordinary words, I don't know why they are the way that they are, but I know God is moving. I know God is moving. He's moving things into place or out of place. He's changing things. God is not bound by our timeline, our space he is not bound by our understanding. He's doing things we don't even understand. And sometimes we can disqualify ourselves. We can disqualify the significance. We can disqualify our days because they all seem the same. Anyone there? But all these words took place in everyday actions. In everyday Actions. I'm going to read you a quote and I'm going to have the band come up now. There is a book. I brought that up with me. There is a book here that, I'm, that I read called Boring. Boring. And this is what it said. The same eggs have to be made every morning. The same commute has to still be driven. The same homework has to be done with the same children. And the same spouse still sleeps on the same side of the bed. It's all the same, and yet it is all different because those same events are suddenly viewed through an entirely new set of lenses. You see, that ordinary, run-of-the-mill person has come to understand that the presence of God isn't constrained to the big and exciting. He invades the seemingly small and seemingly mundane details of life, too. Because an extraordinary and active God is there, constantly working. There is no such thing as ordinary anymore. It's not an ordinary marriage. It's not just a couple dollars. It's not the same old parenting struggles. It's not another day at the office. Everything is the same, but everything is suddenly different. Take a step towards removing the word just from your vocabulary. You're not just a mom. You're not just a teacher. You're not just a student, just a taxpayer, or just a church member. No one is who follows an extraordinary God. Amen? You know, sometimes uh, when I go to the back of the room at the end of the service, or sometimes I can see it from up here, I see all the way back there. I see all the way back there. Sometimes I I take notice of what you guys are doing. I take notice of it. And I know sometimes what a struggle it is for you just to have gotten here today. I know that there's stories out there of people grieving. I know that there's stories out there of people who are angry, of hurt. And I can see it. Sometimes I stand up here, back there, and I see folks who struggle with their bodies, their physical bodies, and man, when I see those folks stand up and raise their hands in the air, just for a moment sometimes, I take sitting and standing for granted because it's ordinary for me. It is not ordinary when I see it happen in someone else. It is not ordinary. When I see you come in with your family, when I see you come in and just serve, when I see you, I can see God's fingerprints in your story. You're not just you, you're you. And you are here today. And as I said in the beginning, that is no accident. God had his hand in rearranging the sermon series. Purim is tomorrow. The celebration of God's hand in things is tomorrow. And the celebration of his hand in your life is today. Last week, I asked you to pick out a word. Last week I said, can you write it? Can you see how God is working through those words? Can you write that down? And, and maybe you couldn't. But what did I say? I said, can you hold that in your hand? Can you hold that booklet in your hand? Just hold it. Just keep it with you. Put it somewhere close. Simply have it near. And I'm reminding you of that today. And, and this week as we continue in our Lent series, in our, in our journey to the cross... My prayer for you this week is that you would see God in the ordinary, in the ordinary of your life, that you would see it in others, and that there would be moments of meaning, moments of meaning that you can see God in the story and the story around you. Let's sing and let's praise an extraordinary God. You know, I wonder if uh, if Esther sang that song before she walked down that hallway. Of course, we know she didn't, but I can just see those words and I could see her pressing in. I could see situations in front of me but I just don't want to. But if he gave his life for me, I can follow him. And I can see him in the eight different billion ways for every child he came to save. And that is what we do. When we take communion, we're going to take communion now. I'm going to have Mark and Chris in the back and Brian up here with me. And we're just going to remember today. We're going to remember that promise that he is with us. Can't feel him. We can't see him. We can't. He's there. This week, we've been obsessed with the stars, the planets in the sky. What, what are the planets that were out there? Jupiter and Venus? Is that correct? He created the stars, the planets in the sky. And he created you and I. So hold on to your communion. And we will say, so will I, together. Go ahead. this next song we're going to sing says I am who you say I am and he named each of you in here for such a time as this for a time for a purpose in the ordinary in the everyday it was an ordinary day after all when he came into this world It didn't start with a loud boom. And he came in and he came to die for you and me. He broke his body for you and me. Let's take the bread. And his blood was spilled out. His blood was spilled out, but he did it for an extraordinary reason because he loves each and every one of you, each and every one of us, the eight billion people that he died to save. Let's take the cup. I think for this song, if you're able, if you're able for this song, let's stand. And let's say, I know who you say I am. I am a child of God. Let's sing.